There's a, a story that I am reminded of now and then that I like to share. It helps me, and I'll share it with you. Some of you might remember. And this is a story of a long time ago. long, long time ago, a king was looking for an heir. And he didn't have children, and so he was opening it to any of his people that were interested. And on New Year's Day, he invited all applicants to the castle. And he, is, he and his attendant... set everything up so that before meeting, doing the individual interviews to the candidates, before meeting, everyone had the opportunity to go to these huge wardrobes and pick out the clothes they wanted to wear and have their hair done or take showers or have a, a, an incredible banquet and so on. He kind of wanted everyone to have an equal chance at it and, and you know, equal opportunity employer, that kind of thing. So he, he just made this all available and there was entertainment and storytellers and people were supposed to come up to see the king but all this stuff was going on, these, uh, all this entertainment and magic show, musicians. And he was just up there waiting. And finally at the end of the evening he asked his attendant, what happened? Where were all the people? Why didn't anyone come? Where's my heir? And the attendants said, sadly, sire, they all went home. Stuffed with food, they took their new clothes and their soaps and their <laughs> silverware or whatever they took, their prizes, and they went home. And in a way, this is a story of us all that so enthralled and entranced do we get by the magic display of the sensory world are else so caught up by this scary world what's going to go wrong, what we need to figure out the story that we're living in that we forget why we came here we, we forget our inheritance really the, the truth of this awareness and this love this mystery that's here to live we forget And so what I'd like to do tonight is talk about two teachings, just two teachings of remembering that are completely interdependent. And I'll tell you them right, in the, right at the beginning and then if you want to go and not listen to a lot more words you can just take this, okay? Teaching number one, the most important thing is to remember the most important thing. Okay, let's say it together. <laughs> the most important thing is to remember the most important thing. Oh, I never did that before, thank you. <laughs> okay, that's teaching number one. Teaching number two, what we long for is already here. Okay, so we're, we're kind of getting in touch with the most important thing. What is it that really matters? And whatever it is that really matters, it's already here. Another way to say this is that the most important thing is remembering presence. Because anything that matters to us is here. It's only in this here-ness, like this immediacy, that we really can experience love. It's not in the ideas. Ideas can be helpful, they can point us towards. but it's only in the immediacy of being awake here that we can really experience and live the love. And it's only in the here-ness that there's any real wisdom that we can really directly experience what is truth, our creativity, 
everything we long for is already and only here. So these are the two teachings. Now I want to start with the beginning, which is remembering what matters. And the given is like all the, you know, people that went to the castle, is we're designed to forget. You know, Rumi puts it, everything that comes into being gets lost in being, drunkenly forgetting its way home. We all forget. It's kind of the predicament, okay? And so what happens is when we're forgetting, when we're in our forgetting mode, our trance, and we're all hooked on the world, it's not so sparkly and easy to remember the awareness, the presence, the kindness that matters. Other things seem to come first. And it's interesting that just culturally, spiritual realizations more highly valued in the East. I mean, you can go to any city or village in, in India and say, you know, where's the local spiritual teacher? And they'll all say, oh, down that little, down that alleyway and over here, left door on the side, you know, they'll know, or they'll want to take you there themselves, you know, eagerly. And if you ask that question here, you know, like you go to the Bethesda Mall or something, <laughs> well, just don't, just don't ask it. <laughs> you know, some years ago, I think it was in 2000, Philip Simmons wrote a book called Learning to Fall. And he's, uh, he was, at the time he wrote the book, 35 years old, a college professor, father of two, and he had Lou Gehrig's disease. So his book's really about dying and living. And it was really inspiring because of the way that dying brought this incredible clarity to remembering what matters. This is not new to probably anyone here, and yet it's really important that for him, as he described it, he got very intentional about living. He said, life is not a problem to be solved, but it's a mystery to live and cherish. When we're in our small mental place, we're going through the day trying to get through the day and we're always trying to figure things out and solve problems. If death is our advisor, as Don Juan says, that isn't the case. There's a remembering that what matters is the living it, not solving something. Does that resonate? Yeah. Let me read you something he wrote. He said, Right now, with my weakened arms, I can barely lift a tissue to blow my nose. But I can sit with my son as he identifies the broad-winged hawk circling over our field. This is a world I choose to remain in. This same transmission, the same truth comes through all spiritual writings, the best books, the best teachings, which is don't wait. Don't think, oh, I'll just get this done, do that. Don't wait. Remember what matters. Remember what matters. We have a potential to go very deep in our spiritual life. To really realize the love that matters and live from that, live from the truth of what we are. We can do that. So what Simmons was basically experiencing was that death reminded him and he was living very aligned with that aspiration for presence. He knew that presence mattered and so his day and his life 
was informed. So we're going to explore that more, these two questions, what matters and that here-ness that's really the answer to what matters. Now the Buddha taught in a very strong and straightforward way that our intention, whatever it is, creates our experience. Whatever we're intending, whatever we're attending to, whatever is mattering to us, that shapes, our whole body-mind takes that shape. Our whole life unfolds out of what's mattering, whatever we're paying attention to. You might, just for a moment, just close your eyes and try this out, just a simple reflection. Feel your body, feel yourself here. Now, just mentally produce the word trouble. Just sense what happens. Say it a few times, trouble. You can say it to yourself, it's okay. (laughs) But just, just sense it. And then erase the blackboard. Now the word kindness. Yeah, just sense. You can either mentally or whisper it, just sense it. This is two thoughts that are plucked out of thin air. And just watch how your body's affected. And what the Buddha was teaching, and we know this from cognitive science too, is that whatever we repeat totally affects our physical or emotional or psychological system. So just to consider the theme or tone of the familiar cocoon of thoughts that we live in. What do we think about regularly? Everything comes from the mind and our bodies and our world comes out of that. So when you're moving through the day and you're in the habit of anticipating and warding off trouble, in other words, judging who has something to offer you and who will be a drain and what's going to happen, you sense how that can be. And and if you'd like, you can open your eyes. And if your intention has to do with kindness, to live with an open heart, and that's informing your day, it's a very different day. So the energy in intention, when you create an intention, okay, my intention is to be present, or my intention is to make money, or my intention, whatever it is, the energy that we feel is a quality of caring, and whatever you're caring about the most, that's going to carry the day. When we are really full with aspiration, and when I say that, when your body and heart is caring about connecting with someone, feeling love, or you're caring about creative expression, you're caring about knowing what's true, nothing can stop you. Just the very fact of that fullness of what matters to you actually creates the world in, in a way of response. Now I want to read to you, if I can find it. Ah, here we go. In the early 1850s, American painter James McNeil Whistler spent a brief and academically unsuccessful period at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. The story goes that when he was assigned to draw a bridge, he drew a romantic stone one, complete with grassy banks and two small children fishing from it. 
Get those children off that bridge, said the instructor. This is an engineering exercise. Whistler got the kids off the bridge, drew them fishing from the bank of the river, and resubmitted the drawing. (laughs) The angry instructor yelled at him, I thought I told you to remove those children. Get them completely out of the picture. But the creative urge was too strong in Whistler. His next version had the children completely out of the picture indeed. They were buried under two small tombstones on the riverbank. <laughs> True story. <laughs> when our hearts are into something, it's our world. It's our world. And when we inhabit our caring, and it's a practice that we're going to explore, because we can care but get distracted. So really, my understanding of spiritual practice is how do we keep coming home to that caring so we're living out of it? so we're not pulled around so much. We're going to get there. Okay, so the most important thing, remembering the most important thing and what stops us, what is it between you and really caring about love, our truth? Remembering that, that what ma- that's what matters. And what happens as we begin to get a little more present, we get to see how much our life is held hostage by all these different layerings of wants and fears, of this idea that we should be doing something else in any given moment. Do some of you know that one? Like it's very hard to be doing what you're doing. There's always something else, never enough, never doing enough. That we're held hostage by the sense of trying to get through the day, by trying to figure something out, by trying to in some way prove ourselves, This is D.H. Lawrence. And this is one of my favorite quotes from D.H. Lawrence. He says, Men are not free doing just what they want. Men are only free doing what the deepest self likes. And there is getting down to the deepest self. It takes some diving. So the people at the king's castle weren't free doing just what they wanted, trying on the clothes and feasting and watching shows, they were in a trance. And this is the thing, that a lot of our wants are in that trance of kind of a narrow fixation of I want approval or I want to get three more things done so my, I'm a little more relaxed. It's that trance. So it takes some diving. And this is really the spiritual practice. How do we keep diving or arriving deeply enough to sense what the deepest self wants? What is our true aspiration? Remembering the most important thing. So our intention gets narrowed when we're not in touch with our deepest aspiration. So yesterday I got up and I did my sadhana, that's a spiritual practice, where I just, I sat for a while and I ended by sensing my aspiration for the day and my intention was to put together a talk for today and also, and I just said, and may I be kind, may I be kind. So I went into my office and as the day got rolling I got more and more fixated on the getting things done part of my aspiration and I got to where I was calling my attorney who had not responded to, oh, I think three or four emails over a number of weeks and so I had some stuff built up. I proved my point and I I just um, really railed. I mean, I really blamed him and I made him wrong and I made my case and... And I could have done it differently, is what I'm trying to mostly share with you. I really could have done it differently. But um, I was much more caught in the wanting to get things done and prove my point and 
get some, make something happen than I was in the possibility of still keeping my heart open and still being effective in the world. It, it's not like our deep aspiration has to stop us from being a functional human. It can inform how to be functional and wise and kind. We have layered wants. And when we're in trance, we're operating out of the shallow layers of our being. So what is it that we get hooked on? What are the wants? I mean, even on the spiritual path, so often where we get locked in is an idea of being a better person and we go on these different self-improvement projects and it's in some way we envision it as part of our spiritual unfolding but we're constantly trying to tinker and be better and it's a kind of a striving thing. I remember hearing one story... Barnes and Noble. I went to the bookstore the other day. I asked the woman behind the counter where the self-help section was. She said, if I told you that, it would defeat the whole purpose. (laughs) (laughs) So every one of us, we all get waylaid and there's all the different ways, whether it's the getting more done or getting recognition or fixated on losing weight or getting the perfect job. Another, this is an honest seven-year-old admitted calmly to her parents that Billy Brown had kissed her after class. How did that happen, gasped her mother. It wasn't easy, admitted the young lady, but three girls helped me catch him. (laughs) In a way, what I'm talking about is what I've called false refuge, is that instead of really getting in touch with what's most important, we try to comfort ourselves, soothe ourselves, feel better by fixating on things that temporarily make us feel better. It's a story of two women having um, coffee together and and the child of one woman's on a ladder and he's wearing goggles and he has a, a blowtorch and he's like printing into the wall with fire, I need love, you know. And the mother's just calmly saying to her friend, oh, he's just trying to get attention, you know. And there's a sense that we have a very deep aspiration and what happens is we fixate on all these different ways of, that are indirect and don't actually meet it. Every one of us wants to love and be loved and every one of us has countless strategies to feel better about ourselves in the world that don't actually have to do with with the very presence, the very sense of being here that can allow us to touch love. We're running too fast. So I invite you to reflect on today for a moment, just to close your eyes. And so the inquiry tonight's a bit about remembering the most important thing. And the inquiry right now for today, what mattered as you were going through today? How was today shaped? What was the quality of heart and mind? Was your intentions narrow and fixated in the sense of trying to get through the day, get things done, accomplish, avoid?
Were there places of remembering a deeper sense of really why you're here? The Buddha describes suffering really as a forgetting and that we all make our home in small places. We put our aspirations on the back burner and narrow our intent. And again, this isn't about not being focused and goal-oriented. It's about having, as we do whatever we do, the deepest place informing us is a remembering what matters in the deepest way. To not have huge swaths of our life hijacked by our habitual fears and our habitual striving. So how do we remember the most important thing? How does it actually happen? So I'd like to name a circularity in spiritual life that many of you are, it's, that I think will seem familiar, which is in those moments that we quiet and get present and really feel a quality of being here, we start really valuing being present. It's like, oh yeah, this is more like home. It's like if you're going for a walk and, and all of a sudden, you know, you just get quiet and start taking in you know, the air and the trees. Ah, this is what matters. Also nature, why don't I spend more time in nature? This is what matters, really coming home into the elements. Or maybe we're with someone and we've actually gotten past kind of the, the routine of our personalities and there's that sense of really caring or being cared for. And there's that saying, oh yeah, this is what matters. You know what I mean? It's like when we touch it, when we're really here in our loving with each other, when we're really feeling our sense of cherishing the natural world, when we're here in the quietness of a meditation, when we're here, we get it, this matters. So there's this circularity that when we're present we realize what matters is being present. And when we're remembering that that's what matters, we're more inclined to come home. You see that circularity? There is, in the Buddhist tradition, a very simple practice of remembering what matters like any other practice where, and it's, we do a bit of it at the beginning here, where we come here as much as we can. In other words, right this moment you can practice it a little, you just sense, okay, here, right here. And you feel your breath and you feel your body and you feel your heart. And you can then say, so what is it that really matters? For the rest of this evening, What is it that most matters? I mean, what do I really care about? So we inquire. And inquiry draws our attention to what's true. Now the inquiry is helped if we really sense how can I be most sincere right now? And if, you're, and if you're sensing into what's sincere and true, you'll notice sometimes you'll have some immediate words about what matters, like, oh, what matters is, and you'll have like some words floating in your head, and then you can ask even more deeply, yeah, but what really do I care about? Inquire, and then listen. 
It said that prayer is the stillness of pure attention, being open to the wisdom of your clay. That's John O'Donohue. So the basic practice of aspiration is to get still, to come into the here-ness, the presence, as much as possible, and then with sincerity, what matters? What do I care about? And in any moment that you begin to arrive in what you care about, that there's a feeling of something mattering, that becomes like a gravitational field that helps your whole life align with that. It's like it's the compass for your heart, that caring. Now, sometimes, and you'll have noticed this here, that we'll start class and I'll say to you, okay, now sense what your intention is or what your aspiration is, and it feels really superficial. It's like, you know, you maybe have some words, like I want to be present or I want to be open-hearted, but your body's buzzing and your mind is kind of spinning around and it's just not connected to that sincerity. Well, maybe none of you have noticed that, but that happens to me. I ask it... And that's because it takes some time. It takes, as, as D.H. Lawrence said, it takes some diving. In order to feel your aspiration, you have to kind of keep asking and listening and asking and listening and being present. Take some diving into sometimes what's unpleasant. Sometimes what you'll, a- you'll ask that question, um, what really matters and maybe you're in physical pain and all you can think of is I just got to get out of this position you know all that matters is I feel relief and then you'll feel maybe some fear like oh god if I keep sitting here it's only going to get worse well what matters then so then the practice becomes staying with and staying with and keep sensing what's there there's a saying that when you get really in touch with what's there you'll feel the longing you'll feel the aspiration. This is a Hafiz, this is how he puts it. He says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of God absolutely clear. Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. So what this means is that at times you'll sense, well, what really matters? And what you'll get in touch with is something really painful or difficult. Staying with that can get you in touch with what matters if you really stay with the grief or the fear, you get in touch very, very deep down with the longing for belonging. All pain is the pain of separation. Anything that arises in us can be a portal back into that longing to belong. One woman, I'll share, give you a story of how she remembered what mattered. She was at a retreat and was describing how she was having to go back and forth visiting her mom who was dying. And then after the retreat she went and her whole family had gathered and 
she had all her life been really alienated from the different members of the family and there they are all together and the entire family dynamic was in her face of being the person that was invisible, whose opinion didn't matter, who basically was, you know, might as well just be not there. And she left and went home and went into this really deep regression, like this raw wound laid bare and went into this real sense of really big pain. So then she did what we've been practicing at retreat and what we practice here. She said, okay. So here she is feeling the pain of separation, like really feeling down on herself, feeling hated by her family. What really matters? What is it I really care about? And she was absolutely blank. All she could feel was fear and hurt. Okay? So I'm giving you this as an example. Sometimes when we're caught, it's not like we get in touch with what matters. For all we're in touch with is the fear and the hurt. So for her, her practice was then to sense the fear and the hurt and say, okay, so what does this part really need? This fearful heart, this hurting part, what does it most need? And she immediately knew it needs love. Immediately. She was Buddhist... Christian and had a real has a real kind of mystical live relationship with Jesus and so that was she, she was basically saying please love me please love me that was her so she was in touch with her longing and the more that she said that and felt the longing for love and this is the key thing she wasn't she was feeling the longing how much she wanted love she was inhabiting the longing she all of a sudden, in a very, very deep way, felt this huge wave of tenderness, this divine embrace, and realized she was love. She went from the longing to love to belonging to love. This is the pathway if we're completely here and present with our longing. Remember the second teaching? What we long for is already here if we open to the longing and instead of fixating on how we think it's supposed to be, we feel the longing itself. We trace back the radiance, we trace back into the core of the longing itself. It's like a current or a stream that empties into the ocean. It carries us home. What you long for is already here. If you long for peace, Pay attention and find out, isn't it already here? Isn't the peace you long for already here? Or the silence? Now if you answer quickly you'll say, no, this is happening, this is happening, I'm feeling this, but keep paying attention, as this woman did. Feel the longing for peace. Feel the longing deeper. Come into the very quiet presence with that longing and you'll find that what you're longing for, whether it's peace, our silence, our love, our freedom, is not only already here, this is the place it exists in. But you have to arrive in the here-ness to know that. So these are the two teachings the most important thing is to remember the most important thing to remember presence and that in the presence you'll find what you long for the aspiration is really important as a practice because we forget 
every one of us, every one of us, and I hope as you look through your day you could just see without any judgment, we all get contracted into a little trance of a doing self on his or her way somewhere and taking ourselves importantly and irritated with what gets in our way. It's said that you have to swerve often off your path to be kind. You know, we're like trying to get somewhere. The most important thing is to remember what matters to us. So that before we go to a meeting and we know it's important that we're present or before, at the beginning of the day or in the middle of a walk, pause. What really matters? With our children, pause. How many moments of our life just stream by with the people we love and we aren't there for it? because we didn't remember. You know, there's um, a story that I've shared with some of you that really struck me, a man that was doing a um, mindfulness training and the what really matters is to remember to be mindful, remember to be here. And he was in a grocery store shopping and he was a busy executive and it was lunchtime, he'd gone out and he filled up his cart because he needed to get a lot of stuff, people over later in the day or something. And he got in line and the woman in front of him only had a couple of things, but she wasn't in the express line, she was in his line and not only that, she had a child. And not only that, when it was her turn, she handed her child to the clerk and they were ooing and eyeing over this little child and he started going berserk. You know, I'm an important busy person and I've got things to do and she's getting in my way and how inconsiderate and so so And then he goes, oh, wait a minute, what matters? Okay, what's most important? What's most important is being here, being present. So he just started being with all the tightness in him and he realized, you know, in that moment he sensed how in some way this was an obstacle to him, you know, his, like his whole life would collapse if he didn't get things done, that feeling. So he stayed present until he got quieter and um, looked up and looked at the little child that the clerk was still holding and thought, hmm, that child's kind of cute, you know. It was finally uh, his turn and he said that to the clerk. He said, that was a really beautiful child. And she, she beamed and he said, oh, well, that's my little girl. My mom brings her for me to visit. My husband w- went to the war in Iraq and he was killed. And so now my mom just brings my daughter over every day so we have a little time together. We move through the day without seeing who we are and who others are. We move through the day somewhat at war, you know, with what's going on inside us. We're judging ourselves, criticizing ourselves, and easily considering the other as um, in the way or something's wrong. If we can pause and say, what really matters? What if I had done that before that call? There just would have been a little more harmony in the world, in the field. And for this man, doing that allowed him to have a, a waking up of compassion. I mean, we might listen to that story and go, well, not everyone is going through that kind of thing. But you know, we all are. Everyone is experiencing the insecurity of being in a body, aging, getting sick, losses. I started by describing Philip Simmons and how he, 
you know, that realizing that close up allowed him to really sense this is not, this life is not something to figure out or problem to solve, it's a mystery to live. It's a place to love fully. What if we left here today with a little more of us sensing, okay, the most important thing is to remember the most important thing and the place to experience that is presence. It's all presence. It's the only place that we find it. Mary Oliver says, Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So we'll do a closing meditation. And I'm going to do this a little differently than I've done sometimes with a little bit of a guided meditation first, a little bit of a visualization, and if you're not visual, don't worry, just feel your way into it. We begin as we always do, just letting this pause be a pause to arrive in. listening to and feeling the moment. Relaxing with what's here. And you might imagine a path and it might be a path in the woods or going up a mountain, but some path that is going to be curving at some point. You can't see what's around the corner yet. So again, imagine or feel or sense that you're walking down a path and you're about to go around a curve and see something. And what you're going to be seeing when you get around the curve is really kind of the state of your heart right now at this time in your life. So you're going to see something that expresses that. It might be that you see a landscape that really expresses the state of your heart. It might be that you see um, some symbol, some person, some colors. It might be an animal, It might be that there's sounds or words rather than images that really tell you about the state of your heart. It might be just a feeling, not so easy to name. But coming around this corner, let yourself be open to whatever there is to know about the state of your heart at this time of your life, this season of your life.
and letting yourself feel the state of your heart from the inside out and sense what is it that's your heart's deepest longing. And it might be that you whisper that in mentally or just feel it as a prayer that in the most sincere way you connect with what is it that matters to you. And to feel the longing itself, the longing, whether it's for love or to realize the truth and fullness of what you are, the longing for true presence. Just feel the longing itself. Just inhabit it so that every cell, even between the cells, is flooded and filled and expressing the essence of that longing. Be the longing, be longing, belonging to really what is your essence, this loving presence. Just be that. Let go of all thoughts. Let go into the aliveness and mystery of what you are. sensing how, how the whole world can be held in this vast heart. It's not a self caring about anything, it's awareness, loving, life. And it's in that awakeness, this field of caring, that we can close together with the loving-kindness meditation just offering whatever prayer comes naturally to this life that you are. You might sense your own blessing, may I remember what matters, may I live in presence, may I be that loving presence. sense how your heart holds others, just bringing one person right now to mind. And let that person live in your heart. Sense how much space there is to hold another. So that as you sense that person's vulnerability, their goodness, You can feel your prayer for that person, your aspiration for that person. May you too live in presence, realizing loving presence as your essence. And then sensing this vast heart that holds this world, 
sensing the struggles and pain in this world, letting your heart be touched by that, by the pain, the war, the suffering in Darfur, Tibet, Burma, the war that goes on between people that don't understand each other, the war in our own hearts. May we all be filled with loving presence, held in loving presence. May all beings everywhere touch great and natural peace. May there be peace on earth. May there be peace on earth. May there be peace on earth and everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. We close tonight as we open by feeling our care, feeling our aspiration for loving presence and chanting the mantra Om three times. Please inhale. stay.